0: Now, let me jump in and tell you why we are starting a 40-day prayer challenge. I think it's probably pretty obvious to all of us that in every single relationship, there's got to be communication. Amen? I mean, we know that. If if a relationship is going to be healthy and mature, it must have communication. And that's why we're starting a 40-day prayer challenge, because we want to shake it up. We want to shake up our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want to see each of us have a spiritual awakening or a spiritual renewing. And nothing wakes our spirit up more than a consistent, faithful prayer life. See, I've discovered, probably like you have as well, that if, if you press into God's presence like never before, you will experience God like never before. See, He will meet you when you get into His Word, when you get into prayer, when you get into His presence. He will meet you there. And I believe that the world needs people who have been with God. I think our world needs people that know how to be in His presence and are learning things in God's presence. All of us need to be in His presence to be transformed there and to be renewed by His love. And this happens as we spend time with God and pray. That's why we've chosen as a church to pray for 40 days. I think and I hope that it will change our church and it will change you as we make prayer the foundation of all that we do and that we say. I'm hoping that this launches us into a new season of growth as a church and that it becomes something that you and I understand is the most important thing in our life being in God's presence. Now, there's a couple things I'm hoping that you and I will learn over the next 40 days as we pray. The first thing is good communication with God. As I mentioned before, every relationship needs good communication, and talking and listening to God is the most important thing you and I will ever do this side of heaven, is getting to know God more and understand what He thinks and what what He's asking of us and how He thinks of us. See, communication is like blood in your body. Every single one of us has blood right now, pumping, our heart is pumping it all around our body. And every single area of our body that has blood flowing to it, that area becomes healthy. Every area of our body that does not have blood flowing into it becomes unhealthy. Communication is just like that. Every area and every relationship that you have, if you have good communication... In that relationship, you will find it getting more and more healthy and mature. I've learned that as Kate, my wife, and I talk more and as I am, am pursuing her and pursuing talking to her, our relationship is better. Same thing with my kids. And with your kids, it can be even be interesting, right? Like, Ali doesn't live in our home anymore. She's 19 and she lives out of our home. I've made an an effort to Snapchat her more. If you don't know what that is, ask a middle schooler. They'll help you. (laughs) But I've been been trying to Snapchat her every day. Why? Because I just want her to know I love her. It's just a way to communicate with her because she's not in our home anymore. And I'm really enjoying it, and so is she. If you have a good relationship with your boss, it's probably because you communicate well. If you have a good relationship with your neighbors and your coworkers, it's probably because you intentionally communicate with them. See, communication is huge. Another thing that I hope that we will learn is how to shake up our faith. See, our faith is directly connected to prayer. And our faith in Jesus Christ gets stronger and more healthy the more we pray. The more we spend time in God's presence, the greater our faith will be. And some of us need to wake up our faith a little bit. Some of you in the room might even need to start a faith in Jesus Christ. And every time you start your faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing you've got to learn how to do is just be in relationship. And that means you've got to start talking to God. And you've got to start listening to what God's saying. And I think our faith will be di- directly uh, energized by prayer with God. See, prayer energizes our faith. Prayer challenges our faith in God, as we talk about the deepest parts of our life and even those difficult circumstances we're going through or just sharing with God all the great things he's done and praising him for it. As a result of that, our faith is challenged. I also believe that prayer mobilizes us. It mobilizes us individually. It mobilizes us as a church. As we pray for our families, our city, the lost, hurting people around you, people that need healing. When we dive in and begin to pray for people, even, in, even if it's intentional in an intentional time of prayer, or maybe an ambulance just drives by you and you right in the moment, start praying for the person in the ambulance. It mobilizes us into our community and gets us more focused on the fact that there are people in our community that need Jesus Christ and they need his salvation. And it mobilizes us to be people Of deep faith. See, prayer helps our faith grow. And I think our faith really grows when we see God answer our prayers. Because when God answers our prayer, we recognize that God is alive and He is real, and there's no way to deny it. And so I'd like us to pray for 40 days so that we can have God answer some of our prayers. One of the ways that we're going to see God answer some of our prayers are with this little circle on your chair, everybody received a little circle. I want you to begin right now to to think about what might be something you would like to focus your prayer on for the whole 40 days. And then I'll talk about how we're going to use this circle at the end of my message. I've discovered that prayer is a lot like electricity in the place where you live. In your home or your apartment or Wherever you live, prayer is a lot like electricity. Electricity is everywhere around you. It's flowing all around you. It's flowing through your walls and the wires in your walls. But the way you tap into that power is by plugging an electronic device into the outlet. When you plug an electronic device into the outlet, it becomes a usable device. A device that is helpful for your life. See, the power of electricity is something that you and I rely on every single day, isn't it? We live in a culture that is absolutely relying on electricity. For instance, right now, can you feel the heat out of the vent? It feels nice, doesn't it? It's because of electricity. Prayer is like electricity to our faith. The power to energize our faith is everywhere around us, and we can pray Anytime we want to. And when we pray, we'll find encouragement, hope, healing, joy, worship, and everything God has for us is available for us right in the moment as we talk with God. And it can happen anytime during the day. Now, think with me for a moment. Imagine how silly it would be for us to go home today and unplug all of our electronic devices. How silly would it be for us to live in this modern world and go home right now and unplug your refrigerator, unplug your toaster oven, unplug your TV. Well, we probably wouldn't do something that crazy, right? (laughs) Your radio, your charger for your phone. That's crazy. We wouldn't unplug all our things because all of those things, all of those electronic devices have potential. And we love for them to be plugged in because a unit full of potential is helpful. But a unit that is unplugged, that's dormant, that is not connected to its power source is now pointless. Now my refrigerator doesn't have frozen steaks in it. Instead, it's got rotten milk. And nobody likes rotten milk. But can I tell you this morning that when you and I as Christians don't pray, we're like a refrigerator that's not plugged in. We're like an electronic device not plugged into its power source. The opportunity to be powerful is there. The is around us. God is there. He is listening. He's waiting. He's ready for us to be a part of his life. But we're not plugged into the power source. That's why I want us to pray for 40 days. Because some of us need to learn what it means to be plugged into the source for 40 days in a row so that it becomes a habit for the rest of our life. Did you know it takes almost that long to start a habit for the rest of your life? 40 days is a good start. And so we're going to pray for 40 days. Here's another reason that I believe we need to pray for 40 days. Because spiritual awakenings happen when we make spiritual commitments spiritual awakenings happen when we make spiritual commitments now commitment that word is ah it's challenging isn't it like that means sacrifice that means devotion that means getting up earlier so I might have a little bit more time in prayer here's the challenge with commitment for us as Americans In the American culture, we don't like commitment. We like conferences, right? I mean, we like four-day seminars. We like big events with lots of lights and great music and the best speakers. And while those moments in our life are very, very important, we don't get to live at camp. You don't get to live in Miami at the conference. Eventually, you've got to come home to Cheney, Washington, and you've got to figure out how to do real life. And if you're going to do real life in this world today, especially in the evil that's in the world around us, you and I are going to have to make spiritual commitments to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And the most important commitment is for you and I to be in his presence on a regular basis. Now, I believe conferences are important. I think camps are one of the most important things we do for our kids because they start something. And all of us need to start something at some point in our life. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to start something new in your life, and that is start to pray every day for 40 days and turn it into a habit for the rest of your life. See, commitment is essential for growth and health, in every single area of our life. That's why we need a prayer renewal in our life. How many of you really enjoy October? Raise your hand. Lots of you. Yeah, I found that to be true as well. When when Kate and I moved to Cheney, one of the things that we discovered was October. See, I grew up in Southern Nevada, and we don't have... Well, we do, we have two seasons in Southern Nevada, hot and hotter. Those are the, those are the two seasons that we had. So you never really had fall. Because like in the fall, you're still doing everything you did in the summer. It's just now perfect. It's the perfect weather, right? Instead of too hot, it's perfect. That's fall where I grew up. I've discovered fall in Cheney and it's wonderful. I like the trees changing color. October is hunting season, right? Yeah, here we go, right? It's great. I love it. I love I love that fall. It begins to get a little cold and that's kind of fun. I don't know, some of you may not like that, but I like it. I love that football is in full swing, right? And I love pumpkin donuts in Green Bluff. <laughs> I just got to be I got to It's not good for my diet, but there's something about pumpkin donuts in Green Bluff. And then lastly, one of my favorites, I'm a baseball guy, so I love postseason baseball. I love October because postseason baseball gets kicked off. It's fun. I love that teams are scratching and clawing and trying to, to make their way to the World Series in hope of winning the biggest prize. I love that now every pitch and every ground ball, every fly ball, every at bat is crucial and important. And, and, and as you watch it, it's like, This is super important. But what I don't like is the the bad parts about baseball. Like at some point somebody's gonna make an error and it might cost them the game and it's like, oh, that's difficult. But I, I thought I'd share with you one of the, I've seen this a couple times over the past couple days. The worst thing you can do in baseball is when you're at to bat. If you're at bat, you're there to get a hit. You're there to help your team. So the worst thing you can do is strike out without looking. Okay? If you strike out looking, it means you don't swing. It means there's a strike. There's an opportunity. It's in the zone. It's in that area that is the best opportunity for you to hit that pitch. And if you don't swing at it and it's a strike, oh, it just looks awful, doesn't it? I mean, your bat's on your shoulder and you're like oh, man, and you just, you watch players, they just shake their heads like, oh, I should have swung, but I didn't. It reminds me of prayer. Prayer is a strike zone. It's the best place for us to be. Just hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus will throw us a perfect pitch right there, and we just keep the bat right on our shoulders. See, I want us to pray for 40 days because some of us need to learn to pray. Some of us need to start swinging. Some of us need to recognize that every single day is a new opportunity to be in God's presence. Just like for a baseball player, every time you step in the batter's box is a new opportunity to do something great. Every single day is an opportunity for you to do something great for Jesus. And that means that you and I have to learn how to be in God's presence. We have to learn how to listen to Him. We have to learn how to share our heart with Him. And the next 40 days, we're going to take the next 40 days to do that together and individually. And so I'm praying, I'm challenging you this morning. Grab a book and jump in. Say, well, Pastor Mark, my prayer average is really bad. I don't don't even know the last time I prayed. It doesn't matter. Every day is a new day. You get to step in the box and try all over again. And God gives you grace and mercy. He's really just waiting for you to listen and for you to share your heart with Him. So know that today is a fresh day. There's grace today. And you can start today making a new prayer average. And every day, Your average can get better. Now, we picked this book, 40 Days of Prayer, to draw the circle to help us during this prayer challenge. Now, in the reading, days 1 through 5, on day 1, the author talked about some things out of Acts chapter 10. And I'd like to expand on that a little bit because I loved the story in Acts chapter 10 so much I thought I would have us focus on it a little bit more in depth. So if you have your Bible, you can open it to Acts chapter 10. You can grab your phone, turn to Acts chapter 10. Whatever device you're using, jump to Acts chapter 10. Now, I'm going to try to paraphrase the story for us quickly because I'd like us to know most of the information in the entire chapter. But instead of reading the entire chapter in front of us, I'm just going to hit the highlights. Acts chapter 10 is an extremely important story in the history of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's at this moment in history, Jesus Christ has already spent his three years of ministry. He's already died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's gone back to heaven and the apostles and about 500 other people have seen him come back to the, from the dead. But now... They, it's, we're, we're probably a couple months, maybe even a year or more after even Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on the church, and people are now walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit. But there's still a problem, a large problem. Actually, it's an enormous problem that's happening in the church. The church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem still has a huge problem and it's in their brain it's the way they're thinking about the gospel it's a it's the way they're thinking about the rest of the world they're still very racist in fact they're so racist that they believe that the gospel of jesus christ and the message of hope and the message of salvation of jesus christ is only for jewish people This mindset is stuck inside of them because it's part of their past. And this this mindset from their past is now still in their present. And it's still hindering the gospel of Jesus Christ from touching every single person in the world because Jesus died for everyone, not just for the Jews. And so God needed the church to understand that and believe it. And so God chose to talk to the leader of the church at that time, Peter, about this situation. Now, the story is about two men, Cornelius and Peter. And God's gonna use these two men, Cornelius and Peter, to change this mindset so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can get out of Jerusalem and go to the ends of the earth with the message of Jesus Christ. And here's how God did it. Cornelius was a man who lived in Caesarea. Acts 10 tells us that he was a godly man, he was devoted to God, and he used most of his finances and his influence to bless people in his city for God, but he didn't understand who Jesus was yet. The other thing the Bible says about Cornelius is this, that he was a man who prayed regularly. Can you tell your neighbor right now, I need to pray regularly? Go ahead. Cornelius was a man who prayed to God regularly. Now, one day at three in the afternoon while he was praying, an angel came and visited him. And this angel told Cornelius, Cornelius, I want you to send your servants to a man named Peter in the town of Joppa. He's living with a man named Simon the Tanner near the sea. Ask for him to come to your house. He's got a very important message for you. Then we fast forward to the next day. Cornelius has sent his servants and a couple military guys to go and fetch Peter in Joppa. In Joppa, it's about noon. And Peter is praying on the rooftop of his house. Now, I found something quite extraordinary in this story something mind-blowing it was I, I never thought of this before but here's what happened it was noon and Peter got hungry wow the same thing happens today isn't that astounding that at noon we get hungry this is a biblical thing that at noon you get hungry here's what's interesting Peter's praying. He's probably been praying for a long time. He's probably been praying since the morning. He's been praying all morning. And now it's noon and he gets hungry. His stomach is growling. He's wondering about a steak falafel or maybe a nice sea bass covered in a nice coating and fried in olive oil. All of these things are passing through his mind. And like most of us, When we pray, I notice that when I pray and I'm hungry, or I'm pray and I pray and I'm tired, I get really distracted. Anybody else like me? I'm either going to fall asleep or I'm going to stop praying and I'm going to go get something to eat. Well, in this moment, God uses Peter's hunger to teach him a lesson. God gives Peter a vision. A sheet comes down from heaven, lands on the ground, and in this sheet are all kinds of animals. There's all kinds of four-footed animals. There's reptiles. There's birds. And God gives Peter this command. Peter, kill and eat. Just in case you're wondering what God thinks about hunting, there's a good example right there. Kill and eat. Just so this thought I'd throw that in there. Just a side note that your pastor's not crazy. God says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, certainly I, I, I'm a kosher Jew. And those are things I'm not supposed to eat. So I'm not going to eat those things. And God says to Peter, Peter, what I've called clean is clean. You can eat it. Now, here's what's interesting. This vision happens three times for Peter. Not once, not twice, three times. Here's what's true. You'll find this often in God's word. God will repeat something two or three times. And when God repeats something in his word, it means that God has firmly established what he's about to do. And what he is talking about, he is firmly believes in and wants us to believe in as well. So what God was saying is, Peter, I really need you to learn this lesson, that what I have made clean is clean. And as Peter is thinking about this moment, this vision, and what it means, God says to him, Peter, There's a couple guys coming to your door right now. I want you to go with them. Sure enough, Peter hears a knock on the door. There's some men from Cornelius. And Peter's like, wow, God must really be doing something. They wait till the morning to leave because Joppa's kind of a walk away. Next morning, they get up and they walk to Cornelius' house. They get to Cornelius' house and Cornelius tells Peter about his vision Peter tells Cornelius about his vision, and then the light bulb goes on for Peter. And Peter realizes, oh, wait a second. What God is telling me is that all mankind can be clean in Jesus Christ. That every person, every race, every tribe, every tongue should have the opportunity To know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The light bulb goes on and Peter gets it. And so Peter goes into Cornelius' house, which is technically against the law in the Old Testament. A Jew should not go into a Gentile's home. He goes into Cornelius' house. He preaches the message of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Healer, the Creator of our planet. And all of Cornelius' family and close friends all get saved. Even the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they speak in heavenly languages, and they all get water baptized in one day. What an amazing story. And here's what I want you to hear. This miracle that happened in Acts chapter 10, it started, and it happened because two people prayed regularly. This miracle happened because two men prayed regularly. Now, I think God wants to do things like this in our lifetime, just like he did for Peter and Cornelius, but that will require you and I to begin to pray regularly. Now, look at several things with me that we can discover about prayer from this story. I notice that when you talk to God regularly, God will talk to you. When you talk to God regularly, God will talk to you. I don't think it's any accident that God used Cornelius and Peter because these two men knew how to talk to God. They knew how to make their lives available to God. They knew how to put themselves in a position where they were ready to be used by God. And I believe God wants to do the same thing today. When you and I talk and when you and I pray and when you and I listen, God will talk. See, God's not mute. Sometimes we wonder if God's mute. He's not. He's just looking for people that will be willing to listen, and that's why we want to pray for 40 days so that we can learn to listen, so that we can start a habit of listening to God. See, I think one of the most important things that you and I need to do every single day is to quiet the world around us and learn to listen to God. Just be in His presence and focus on Him, and forget about what's going on in the world around us and let him in. Another thing we discover is that God reveals himself to people that pray. God revealed himself to two men that had a habit to pray, to Cornelius and Peter. But if you think about it and look at all of the Bible, that's true everywhere. God was always revealing himself and doing amazing things in people that knew how to be in God's presence, that knew how to pray. And we can go as far back as Noah. Noah was a man who was devoted to God and knew how to be in God's presence. So therefore, God could come and talk to him and say, build a great big boat and save your family and a bunch of animals as well, because later we're going to need to kill them and eat them. This is important stuff, right? Put them all on a boat. We're going to need them for food later. Steaks and ribs and... Fried chicken. We're going to need those things. Isn't God good? Oh, man, God's good. So is fried chicken. Just trying to make you hungry. Moses. Moses had a special tent. It was called the tent of meeting, where he went every single day and talked to God. And he listened to God, and it's what made him a great leader. You know what's amazing about that special prayer tent? Not only did Moses go there, but another young man went there. His name was Joshua. Joshua. And if you know your biblical history, Joshua was the guy who took over after Moses. So Moses led him out of Egypt and helped him live through the desert. But it was Joshua who would stay in the tent and spend time with God and talk to God and listen to God and study God's word. And get this, it was Joshua that led the people into the promises of God. What does that remind us or tell us or teach us? It teaches us that if you and I want to live in the promises of God, all of the promises that God has in his word and through his spirit for us, we're going to have to be people that know how to get into God's presence and pray. Otherwise, we'll never know what the promises are. We won't ever know how to live in them. They'll never be a part of our life unless we know how to be in God's presence. David. David conquered Goliath and became a great king because he knew how to pray and be in God's presence and worship, spend time with God. Daniel, maybe your favorite guy is Daniel. Daniel got thrown in the lion's den because he what? Prayed. prayed. And Daniel got out of the lion's den because he prayed. prayed. This whole story is about prayer. Maybe, just maybe, we'll get to it later. All the prophets heard God speak as they prayed. Jesus prayed regularly with God the Father. Peter, later in his life after Acts 10, he gets rescued out of prison because the church prayed. Paul and Silas were rescued by angels from prison as they sang and prayed. Here's what we discover. God reveals himself to people that pray. And he's wanting to reveal himself to you. And I think God wants to do some amazing things in you over the next 40 days. But it will take a spiritual commitment. You will have to make a commitment and a sacrifice to be in God's presence every single day. But I want to tell you, if you choose to do that, God will reveal himself in miraculous ways. Another thing we can discover from this story is that God changes us when we pray. God changes us. See, God needed to change Peter God needed to change Peter's mind so that Peter would be okay with sending people and missionaries to the rest of the world so that people could get saved. Now, here's the truth. If Peter had not gotten changed, you wouldn't be sitting in that seat saved knowing Jesus. I wouldn't be standing here because I'm not a Jew. Most of you aren't either. You and I would not be here and be saved Because Peter would have stopped the gospel to go forward instead of helping the gospel go forward. You and I are saved and free in Christ today because Peter allowed God to change his mind when he prayed. What does that tell us about us today? Well, I know I'm not perfect. How about you? I think there might be one maybe two things that I might need to change and I'm going to find out what those things are when I get in God's presence when I hang out with God now here's what I love about the story did you notice that God was gentle with Peter I mean Peter had a huge problem this is not a small problem Peter's a racist that's not a small problem Peter doesn't want anyone else except for Jews to get saved. That's not a small problem. That's an enormous problem. That's a huge mental issue. That's a huge problem. And God comes along and he doesn't say, Peter, you're so dumb. Man, I hung out with you for three years. You remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that I talked to in broad daylight? Remember that? How come you can't figure this out? Are you dumb or something? How many French fries are in your happy meal? Because I think you're short a few. Did you notice God didn't say anything like that? He didn't hurt Peter. He didn't yell at Peter. He simply helped people. Peter figure it out and I think there's something in me and there's probably something in you that God needs to change there's probably something you think that doesn't line up with God's word and God wants to change it in you but he's going to need you to get into his presence so he can lovingly and graciously speak to you as you listen to him and he can show you in his word how he wants you to live for him in a more godly way but you're going to have to pray. The last thing that I noticed in this story is that God does awesome things when we pray. God does awesome things when we pray. Now, can God do awesome things when we don't pray? Yeah, he can because he's God and he can do anything he wants. But here's what I've noticed from his word. Normally, God doesn't. Why? Because He wants us in both. We're in a relationship. This isn't about God just doing whatever He wants. He's in relationship with us, and He wants to be connected to us. He wants to be in relationship with us, and He wants to use us for His glory. It's part of who He is. It's part of how great He is, and it's part of how relationship with God works. He uses us. So he's waiting for us to pray. See, I think God wants to do some awesome things. He wants to see some people get saved. He wants to see some of your friends come to know Christ. He wants to see some people get physically healed. He wants to see awesome things happen in our city. He wants to see all of the churches in our city completely filled with new people that need Jesus Christ as their Savior. He wants to do miraculous things all around us. He's just waiting for us to pray and get involved in the process. That's why we need to pray for 40 days. So we become a church that is on the cusp of of everything that God is doing in our life and in our generation and for the rest of time till Jesus comes back. That's the kind of church that we need. And that's the kind of Christians that our world needs. Amen? That's why we need to start with praying for 40 days. Now, as we close, I'd like you to take out your circle. Grab your circle and grab a pen. Grab your circle and grab a pen. In the book, Draw the Circle, the, the premise of drawing a circle is, several reasons for it. One is that you and I should draw a circle around ourselves and that we should be people that pray in that circle until God moves. The second premise of Draw the Circle is that you and I take the things that are most important to us and draw a circle around them and then spend 40 days praying about that important thing that we've put in the circle. And here's what we'd like to do as a church, as individuals, and we'd like to do it corporately on the back wall you'll notice a draw the circle circle and you'll notice the first service put something in the middle of their circle and then they walked to the back of the room grabbed the pin and pinned it to the wall we're going to continue to do this throughout the forty days now you'll you'll have one thing but more people who aren't here will continue to put their things in the circle as well Now. What you put in the circle is up to you. It can be a person. It can be a problem. It can be a promise of God that you want to stand on. So I want to encourage you, in the next couple minutes, write a promise or a person or a problem in your circle and then as dedication to God, as a commitment to pray, over the next 40 days for your issue. While the worship team plays and sings, we're going to take our circle, go to the back of the room, grab a pin, pin it in the circle. And so, could we just take a minute, bow our heads, have a moment of silence, think about what we want to put in the circle, and then when the worship band begins to play, that'll be your moment to go put it in the circle.